0: The one thing I will say again is there is a disproportionate spend between acquiring new customers and maintaining existing customers. Right now, knowing that in a decline, you're better off getting more business from an existing customer than trying to acquire a new one. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast,
1: brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.
2: Hi marketers, this is Dots and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Drew Neiser, founder at CMO Odds and a leading CMO coach. Drew is the host of one of the top marketing podcasts called Renegades Marketers Unite. You better subscribe. Drew is an author of two books, where the latest, being Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands, was ranked number one on B2B audiobooks. Drew is one of the top 15 voices on LinkedIn. I actually checked that. That's true. In marketing and advertising. When not busy, Drew is a self-proclaimed Ben Franklin fanatic, which I think is cool. And today, we will be talking about the road to becoming the CMO, the Chief Magic Officer. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Hey, Drew, welcome to our podcast. It's great
0: to have you here. Hey, Dots, it's great to be here. And I really appreciate the fact that you have a show. I know how hard it is to produce, how much time it takes to produce a good show.
2: So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've had a very fruitful career definitely something i look forward to as a young marketing leader myself so good job on that but before we move ahead i was intrigued by the ben franklin fanatic tell me about that
0: sure there was a moment in the 2000s where i was starting to look at marketing and advertising and just thinking of it as pollution and it just felt like it was noise and it really bothered me and it just bothered me to the core I was reading something and I somehow rather came across this Ben Franklin quote which is said which was well done is better than well said and what I started to think about and this really helped me crystallize a concept that we called at the time marketing as service that marketing could actually be functional it's about the actions that you do not just the words that you say and that really has inspired me Over the years. And then the second part of it is I got to know Franklin even better. I realized, oh my gosh, he was America's first chief marketing officer. He sold a revolution to a king. That was a marketing challenge. And he, being the genius that he was, managed to make it happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what guides us here as well. In terms of having marketers to have that growth mindset and separate themselves from all the lingo and all the stuff that people don't understand and just be useful employees to the companies, which is why we are on the topic of CMOs here. I see that you've given a very soft start to your background, your role. So do you want to maybe expand on that a little bit?
0: Sure. So everything I do is aligned with my personal purpose statement, which is to inspire B2B greatness and i do that currently via a community which is CMO Huddles about 150 plus b2b marketers coaching and content so it's community coaching and content and for 30 years i did that as ceo of Renegade the agency i started back in 1993 that has really interestingly enough has evolved into a media brand and so that's the content portion of these things so Right now, Renegade.com as a media brand features Renegade Marketers Unite, the podcast, our blog, our newsletter, the two books you've already mentioned, Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands. And for any of your listeners that are unfamiliar with CMO Huddles, it's a subscription community for B2B marketers. It's a safe space where they can go, which we started in April of 2020, believe it or not, shortly after Salesforce purchased and it's been amazing and it's a great place for me right now and it's kind of like doing a podcast in the sense that you get to learn so much but instead of having one guest we have 10 to 12 to 15 in these small huddles and it's amazing how hard the job is but also how they can help each other solve some really tough challenges
2: yeah absolutely i like the last word you give there through challenges and this episode's title is obviously a pawn, right? It's chief marketing officer, not chief magic officer. If you are listening now, you probably know that. And we said that because there is always this feeling that marketing is easy. We all know it's not easy. So what are some of the, you can give me your top three in terms of the challenges that CMOs within your community face, which I think 150 CMOs is a good sample size for global insights.
0: Yeah, and let me step back for a second and say about in 2008, I started interviewing CMOs as part of a thing I did with the for the CMO Club. I've now interviewed over 600 in for articles, and podcasts, and all sorts of other things. So there's like two people in the world have interviewed more. Anyway, I spend a lot of time, and the one thing I can tell you is I have tremendous empathy for the job, for the people who take on this job. Even answering the question about what are their top three challenges is so hard because it's the most bespoke. It's the most customized role in the C-suite. Presidents have the same job. CEOs have the same job. CFOs, CISOs, they could go from one company to another. And for the most part, the things that they need to do on a daily basis are the same. Not true for CMOs. They can be responsible for some aspect of sales or brand development reps. They can be responsible for internal comms, customer experience, customer success, customer communities or co- all sorts of other things, or none of those. And just demand generation. It is so varied. So that said, I think I can boil down a few of their challenges that impact their success. And so number one is, do they have alignment with the CEO and the board? And that sounds pretty basic. So you have to understand that most CEOs never spend a day in marketing. So like less than 20% of CEOs have any marketing experience, and yet they're smart, accomplished individuals who think they know a lot about a lot. So their expectations of what marketing can do and what marketing can do are often so mismatched that the CMO arrives dead in the water. So the CEO is expecting magic. <laughs> and yeah, and the CMO is like, well, it's going to take some time. So that's part one is just alignment. And when you see pure alignment, what you also see is longevity. So, if the CEO and the CMO are in sync, I mean, Kathy Buttonbell, who I interviewed, she was in her position at Emerson for 22 years, same CEO, totally aligned. So, that's one. Two, demonstrating marketing effectiveness. It's really hard to draw a straight line from marketing to revenue. It's really hard. And even doing so would be limiting, and we can talk about that later. And then, The third thing is there's an expectation that marketers can come in, wave a magic wand, there's your word again, and affect change in like three weeks. CEOs ask for their 30, 60, 90 plans. That's days. And that's ludicrous. You're not going to move like an aircraft carrier. I worked on a video game for aircraft carrier once, and it takes them five miles to stop. So you're saying you have 90 days to change the organization, which means the product, the customer service, that would be magical. So they don't get enough time. And then lastly, with these challenges, they've just got to stay positive in the face of them. And so it just sits there as an umbrella. They have to keep positive, bring their teams along with them. So it's a hard job. Yeah, it's hard. And I'm wondering so
2: far, Drew, do I sound positive?
0: Yeah, I mean, within those challenges, yeah. And this is the thing. This is why it takes so time to get to this role because you really need to know how to assess the situation and how to pull the levers. And if you don't know that, and that comes through experience, it's really a hard job. And occasionally, you get people in the role that don't know how to do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's a bit off topic here, but. Today, I was having some meetings with the management where I work, and we're just trying to figure out B2C sales cycles are so easy to predict, right? We have got Black Friday, Christmas, we've got even the seasonality of the product themselves. But with B2C, you have to consider their budgeting season, you have to consider their annual tax periods, you have to consider a lot of things and you are here marketing month to month trying to tie revenue to your marketing efforts. And I just thought to myself, man, this is no magic. It's not
0: easy. And the problem with revenue as your guidepost, it's a lagging indicator. In B2B, we work with many of the CMOs and CMO huddles have 12 to 18 month sales cycles. So if you're waiting for a customer to come through at the end of 18 months, and that's your metric that mattered, you're in trouble. Again, it's a hard job. And I would say that most of the CMOs and CMO huddles, they know what they're doing. That's true. And I like all the
2: things that you've said, through expanding nowadays into different things. And it's almost like some people doing three rows in one, stuff like that. So what do you see in terms of how CMOs need to be flexible, what are some of the other things that you see CMOs being sucked into in order to provide commercial value?
0: So let me step back for a second because I want to address this issue of what's changed and what hasn't. And here's the thing, I think everything has changed and nothing has changed. And that's the important part of it. If you're focused on the change, what that means is you're focused on the MarTech and the data and the gen AI. And what hasn't changed is if your product or service isn't truly differentiated strategically, none of that other stuff will matter. I don't care how much generative AI you use. If your strategy's wrong, you're problematic. And that hasn't changed. And even how you think about strategy hasn't changed. The leadership challenges of building consensus, getting people to sort of marshal and do significant changes The CMOs that strike out do so often because there's a product problem or a service problem that they simply didn't have the mandate to help fix. And ironically, even with all the data that's out there, measurement is still a challenge. And I'll just tell you a quick story. So you're a salesperson, right? You take a prospective customer out to dinner. They have a wonderful steak and a great glass of wine. And for dessert, they have chocolate mousse. Tell me which part of that meal helped drove the sale. Who knows? I always say it was the chocolate mousse because that's my favorite dessert, but that it's not that much different with marketing. There are things that there's a lot of data that you can measure. And the last thing is the same challenge. It's so funny is it's right now with the economy being in turbulent, a lot of the CMOs lost 20, 30, 40% of their budget. And so now they're big, but their goals didn't change. And that's an old challenge. Do more with less. Marketing is always the first thing to cut. Yeah. And so none of that's changed. you know. And again, I'm not saying that you don't have to have a bunch of new skills. You really do need to understand MarTech. You do really need to think about the customer journey in a very different way. You need to think about marketing as not a beginning or middle or end because marketing doesn't stop now. I'll give you one quick example. One of the Huddlers, that's the members of the community and I were talking, they mapped a customer journey. This is an enterprise sale, 137 touch points before the sale. My God. And a hundred of those, a hundred were marketing. Again, where did marketing begin and end? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Marketing never stops. And that's a big change. I think if I could point to one, it used to be, there used to be a handoff. Hey, we got a lead. Here you go, sales. That is done. That is dead. By the way, MQLs are dead as a metric. I want to just put that out there. I'm sure others have said it too. The only thing marketers need to care about is, did opportunities, did you win those? Now, we get to this next issue of should they own customer experience? And you know, at some point in time, if they own SDRs and BDRs and they own pipeline, And they own experience, they might as well be the COO, right? At some point, you have to stop. Here's the thing that I, again, and we could get to this is what's the CMO's goal? And if the CMO's goal is transformation and to create markets, you know, you'll hear this term chief market officer now, and they're in the business of creating markets. I don't like the title, but I like the notion. That marketers are the ones who are developing the business, then have the sort of insight to think about the business a few years ahead, right? So they're creating the umbrella awareness that is building interest in the company today and tomorrow. They're helping develop the products that will, in fact, Do this. I mean, Beth Comstock at GE was masterful at doing this. She created health imagination and eco imagination, billion dollar marketing ideas that became billion dollar divisions. That's when you're really doing the job at an extraordinary level. So, anyway, but I think that you can only do any of those things as you expand if you're really a good leader. Who can hire really good people and if you can hire really good people and manage them then you can take on as much as you want that's interesting it really comes down to how good and one of the things we've done in huddles we spent a whole month on organizational structure and the minute i saw someone had more than six direct reports it was like warning bells because you can't give the attention to your direct reports And this is something you learn from experience. You want to have enough direct reports so that they have domain expertise and they cover enough ground for you. But if you have seven or eight direct reports, you have a problem. You really can't guide all of them or spend enough time and somebody's going to be felt ignored.
2: Like a weak link. This will be like a premium question. So if you are listening to this episode, consider yourself lucky. So what's the cap for direct reports in the
0: marketing side? I think it's six. And it's just because we were talking today, we had a huddle, and this person has several hundred in their marketing department. And so there's a lot of different functions that report into marketing. It's a big company, but they were about to go from six to five because they were going to consolidate. And there was a question, are they creating a too big of one area, right? Because there will be an imbalance when you do this. And I think the answer to the question was... Is this the person that could step into your shoes? Is this, are you grooming another CMO? In which case, you might have one that has a lot more responsibility than the others. But for the most part, you want to think about this in terms of how you are measuring marketing and what marketing's role is. And then if you define your direct reports in terms of that, your life will be a lot easier. And, you know, again, It's a little bit varied from marketer to marketer, but I think that structure is critical. That makes sense. I would like to pick on something you said there
2: about it's important to not be jack of all trades, even though leadership often tempts us to do that and try to provide business value. I would like to ask a question from a different angle, okay? Take Greg Joswiak, for example, Senior Vice President Worldwide Marketing at Apple, by him having summoned and support, chief pipeline officer, while still being the CMO, does that give him some sort of a candidacy to be the next Apple CEO? My question is this, having CMOs who don't stop at being a CMO, I want to be a CFO or or a CEO of a company, does having those, my guess, I would say, diverse experience around the business give you that opportunity? to be at least a candidate for such a position? Is that, if there is a segment of listeners here that might be thinking, yeah, maybe I don't wanna stop at being a CMO, I wanna lead the SaaS company, something like that. What does it take? Am I on the deep end with what I'm saying here or there's a different way around that?
0: Well, so what's interesting here is I have actually asked CMOs in the CMO huddles if they aspire to be CEOs. And what's interesting is most do not. Either it's because they like marketing or be are Honestly, I won't say terrified of the role, but the CEO role, everything weighs on you. Everything. And I think they don't seek that. So now there are a handful of CMOs that I know and I've interviewed that have become CEO. One example is Karen Starnes, who was a CMO at Ojo. North America and became the CEO of Ojo Canada. Now, we're going to do a podcast together I think next month, but we've had our pre-call and in the pre-call she shared the fact that she had talked to her boss that one of her plans and this was like 2 or 3 years ago was one of her development plans was to have the option of being a general manager or growing beyond the CMO role. So, having done that they talked about the kinds of skills and things that she would need to do and i can't remember the specifics in they're all in my notes and i'll remember it when i do that show and i know other cmo's who have done it too and often oh so jeff perkins is another example he was cmo at park mobile And what he did in the course of his role is he drove innovation. He started, and that he first started with employee comms, and then he created these innovation days where they brought the whole organization together. And out of that, grew new revenue opportunities. He became a true leader in the company, both through his internal comms activities and the innovation activities. So, if it is the desire of the CMO to be the CEO, the path is there. I think the one thing that is often held against them in B2B is that they don't own a PL. Whereas if you're in B2B, and this is a huge difference between B2C and B2B, if you're a B2C, particularly packaged goods, you own the PL you own all the levers. And so you've, you're running a little business. It's just not the case with B2B CMOs. So they have to find a way around that. And some do it because they might have a website that has e-commerce. And if it has e-commerce, they can own that and that becomes a PL. So the root is there. And I actually think in many cases, CMOs can make great CEOs because they fundamentally have a better understanding of the customer and in theory are closer to the customer than anybody else in the organization.
2: That's right. Just to extend what you said there in terms of the distinction between B2C and B2B, I think if you are a CMO in a service industry or like SaaS industry, you also sort of get some P&L exposure. You are looking at retention rates, you are looking at drop-offs, you are looking at a very complicated lifetime value and things like that that you have first time access to, but yeah, it just depends on the whole set of variables. I personally, if you would ask me right now, I'm still enjoying the quote unquote CMO life, but it's interesting to see what both sides are with regards to those who want to take a step further from being a CMO. Another question that I, this is very basic question, but I'm sure our listeners might be wondering. How many years does it take to be a CMO? I'm straight out of college in 2023. How many years does it take? I'm not saying CMO of Apple or Meta or whatever, at least if a reputable company. How many years do you think
0: it takes? 18 and a half. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's not. It's like everything with a CMO. It's There's no single answer here. I know a couple CMOs. Khaled Al khatib who's a CMO of Stack Overflow. He got the job in his 30s. Unusual. And I know one or two others who have been, and some of it is they happen to be at a company that just grows and grows and grows. So I think there's a little luck that goes with it. Some of it is they might have had a boss who really wanted them to get there and was going to retire. So they groom them. But most are honestly, they're in their 40s or 50s be time they get there. And this is where I get to, you can get to the role, but you may not know what to do with it. And if you don't understand the levers and how to pull them, and you don't have a methodology of how to work, I think you're going to have a real problem being successful. And so it's worth Getting the foundational work, you need to understand how brands are built. You need to understand how you create a demand generation engine. You need to understand how customer retention plays into future revenue. You know, there's just a lot of different components. And if you can fake it, but I know CMOs who came up, for example, only through PR. And honestly, I never thought they were equipped to do the job. There were so many gaps in their education. Look, you can't know everything, and it's even getting worse. Even the more experienced CMOs recognize, and this is part of their strength: they don't know everything. And so, a lot of them have number twos. Like I know one CMO in particular, who so she has brought her data person with her for three jobs because she just she knows out the right questions, but she doesn't want to be responsible for that. Right? So you're going to build a team, but you still have to. Ask the right questions. And so you need to know. And you also need to know how to experiment and when to kill an experiment. And all of that stuff comes from experience.
2: Yeah, it does. Wow. I like that. The number 18 almost sounded familiar, though, true. I completely made it up. Oh, are you serious? Because there was a newly appointed CMO of um, CMO and analytics senior vice president at Meta. I was looking at the LinkedIn profile, almost matched up to 18 years. I think I checked a few other people as well, but you're right. I think it depends. But the key, just reiterating for our listeners here, the key is you need to have your own system, not just as a corporate system, but as a professional marketer. And I'll give a very good example. Yeah, I might be a young marketing leader, but I have a system of transparent marketing strategies that deliver commercial growth, right? That statement, it gives me sleepless nights every day. I just expressed one now, but that is what I stand for to say, however, I contribute to a company either from a strategic perspective or marketing intelligence or project or campaign management, those three anchors, I must make sure that I'm delivering transparent growth, being able to show visibility on that process, And like you said, Drew, experimentation, having some of the technical skills and so on and so forth. Of course, I still have a long way to go as (laughs) dots. However, that is my own foundation. And I think that would be the biggest lesson. If you're really listening to this and figuring out what do I do? I think that should be one of the biggest lessons that you need to take and see if luck is on your side, you can be a CMO in your thirties or whatever the case might be. But again. I also think that delivering value and offering value and helping people from a marketing perspective is if the priority rather than always looking at the optics and sharing vanity metrics so you can look good or whatever happens in office politics these days. The truth is in the details that you commit to driving commercial growth through marketing, through all the practical and viable techniques that are out there. Drew, I would like to dive deeper a bit into the skills side. I don't want to get into job descriptions yet, but how much technical skills do you think CMOs need these days?
0: Well, they've got to understand pipeline. And so in order to understand pipeline, they need to be able to look under the hood and probably these days, minimum of 10 different technologies I talk to CMOs with 25 different technologies in their tech stack, probably too many, but they need to understand and actually agree with sales on how we're defining everything, but also just to know what the pieces are. And so you have to have insight into all of those aspects of it. And so it's hard. Sometimes you'll meet a CMO who's come up through brand and they'll understand the notion of awareness and how to measure it. And they'll understand things. But they won't necessarily know, oh, if I go onto this ABM platform, what's an intent signal look like? And again, they don't necessarily need to know. But I'll give you an example. You don't know what you don't know. And this is really hard. You don't want to be in a CMO and not know what you don't know. But it's like ChatGPT, for example, great tool. Love it. Use it all the time. But sometimes somebody who's used it more than you has to tell you, oh, by the way, did you know that you could ask ChatGPT to give you a prompt that will help it give you a better answer, it's like, oh, that's cool. Didn't think about that, right? And the same thing happens with CMOs. If they haven't had the experience working on some aspect of it, they have to be curious enough and dive in there. Again, they don't have to be the ones who operate it, but they need to understand what the questions are. And again, that comes from experience and it's hard. Again, this is where your leadership skills come in, being able to say, I don't know what that means. Can you explain it to me? And that's where you'll find the is afraid to say, I don't know, is going to have a problem.
2: They are. And I guess it's hard, right? Feeling like you don't know, but you've just got to know by asking. And you're right. Leadership is by asking. And it's once you've got, I think, Drew, you had touched on lead, you know, hiring or having a good team. And having that six direct reports, but making sure those guys are also, you are working closely with them and having them give you the right or operate at the right mindset, basically, because you don't want to have a direct report that is keeping you in the dark because you don't know about a particular tool. I guess that's where trying to be a bit curious helps, but it's important to have that balance without some sort of micromanaging or encroachments. You'd mentioned something about having to sharing the vision of the commercial vision of the company when it comes to what CMOs should focus on or what CMOs should look at. And I'm curious about the KPIs, right? (laughs) So what are the top three KPIs from your over almost a thousand interactions at this point? What are your top three KPIs that you think CMOs, it's sort of like their Bible, every day they wake up, they check these KPIs, they live or die by them. What would be those KPIs?
0: Well, this is where, of course, the title of my book is Renegade Marketing, and I can't give you just three. I have to give you four, and within those, there's two. I do think this is where employees seem to often get it backwards, which is they think about everything as prospects and then customers and then employees, and I think it's backwards. I, I think you need employees and you need to measure their satisfaction it could be an ENPS type thing. And then another metric like that shows the strength of the brand or the culture. So one is simple is you give three offers to new employees. Do you win all three of them? And so you could have a win rate there, which would be a clear demonstration. So, and if you don't have that, full stop, because employees are the ones who are going to get the work done. Employees are the first line. They are the brand ambassadors, and they're the cheapest form of marketing you have. So if they're not, you don't have that. Number two, I then go after customers, not prospects. And right now, if you look at where revenue is coming from, for most brands, 75% of it is existing customers. So- yeah. And they're upselling or cross selling or just retaining. So if you want to grow in a down market, you're going to grow through customers. And so this is the second bucket, which is what's their satisfaction? You could use a NPS. I'm not a huge fan of NPS. And then you could have a lifetime value or in another metric about customers. And again, if your customer metrics are good, you're probably going to be growing. Now we can look at prospect metrics. And we're not looking at MQLs. We're not looking at marketing source leads anymore. I like, say, pipeline and win rate. Because win rate is really interesting. One is your competitive advantage. And do you win one out of three? Do you win more? And pipeline is an interesting way, again, depending on how you define it, of future revenue. And it's the only way to get a sense of future So those are employees, customers, prospects. And then the last one, and this is the most overlooked one, is brand. You've got to have some brand health and brand awareness, which take time because there is no pipeline without awareness. You don't get on the list. And brand health and brand awareness, there's expensive ways and inexpensive ways of tracking those things, but you got to have them. So four buckets, two buckets in each. And by the way, most importantly, don't have too many metrics. And secondly, get your CEO and board to agree on those metrics because once you start presenting them, they'll get used to seeing, oh, okay, there's my dashboard, employees, customers, prospects, brand. Thank you. And all you're trying to do is track change over time. That's more important than the specific number.
2: Yeah, because it's always very consistent. I guess sometimes CEOs do put pressure on CMOs to change their approach to measurements. I'm not saying yes. marketing intelligence should not move with the times or be dynamic, but Drew, what I often ask myself with my experience is that when companies report quarterly earnings against their stock, for example, they record the same thing. You know, for 50, 60, 70 years, we've been recording what is the income, what are their losses, what are their dividends? Like the KPIs in that front are just nearly the same. But when you look at marketing, you try to, for example, stick to these four KPIs, then you get the CEO might say, oh, maybe this might be important, but maybe that might be important. What do you think in terms of having the CEO play the role of an expert to say, I get what you're saying. However, based on the marketing principle, these KPIs have been proven by research to be the pillars that contribute to the growth of the company and so on, and whatever justification comes to mind. Like, how do you advise future CMOs to tackle Disease of or the plague of mashed KPI
0: again. Part of the listening of a CMO needs to listen. And if, for example, the board or the CEO says you must measure CAC, which is cost of acquisition, of course, measure that, and that's fine. And then you have to get in the debate of how do we weigh that and what's the really behind that. And there's another 1000 metrics that you could measure, and the, the problem is. Most of those are not really indicators of future revenue. Most of them are backwards looking. So the goal would be to reduce the number of metrics to them that matter. So everybody's focused on a few important things. And what you love is when you meet a company that's purpose driven and they're really everything is about customer satisfaction because all the other numbers are going to look good. It's when they're focused on acquisition that all the numbers don't look good. Because all we're thinking about is future revenue, net new revenue, all of that stuff. And that's not a formula for building a company. That's a formula to maybe get yourself acquired by another venture firm. I'm in the business of building remarkable brands. And that's not necessarily what PE firms or VC firms are interested in. So again, you got to understand what the CEO wants, what the CFO wants. And if you have to put some metrics out there that they want, you probably, you don't have a choice. But you can educate them on other things. And look, if you can build a relationship with the CFO where you show them through a test, we're spending a million dollars over here and look at the output and they go, oh, my God, that's so cool because I might spend a million with you instead of another million with sales because I know you can deliver. That's when you know you've got the right metrics in place.
2: Have a good relationship with the CFO. Correct. I did not think about it like that. <laughs> I thought it was have a relationship with the CEO. But I think that makes sense because the CFO would definitely be able to justify what that investment looked like. And your budget will never get cut as long as you continue to demonstrate yeah. value.
0: If marketing is driving 60, 70, 80, I even know one CMO who drives 90% of pipeline, leads pipeline, they're in a good position, you know, the C. FO is going to come to them and say, okay, could you drive more pipeline?
2: Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Drew, I'm sure you've heard about fractional CMOs and I'm wondering which one is better, regular CMOs, fractional CMOs, or does it depend on who you are asking?
0: Well, look, the only reason, so fractional CMOs are great if you want to manage your life in a certain way and have control of your life. Being a regular CMO means that you own the role and you have a chance to really make a significant impact on the organization from its purpose to its values to the products that it sells. I think it's really hard to have that kind of impact as a fractional. It's not impossible. Again, it depends on the size, but most of the time they have a fractional instead of a full-time because they're having budget issues or because they simply can't afford to hire somebody with as much experience. It's fine. The other challenge, because I know a lot of fractionals, it's feast or famine. Sometimes you have a lot of work, sometimes you don't. So I think that at a certain point in one's career, it could be a great solution, but I wouldn't aspire to be a fractional.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. If you've had a phase in your life where you, for example, you've been a regular CMO and then instead of maybe sitting at home in the name of being retired, you can actually look at the fractional side. Oh, I mean, that's one scenario, but you're right. I like the way you broke that down. I think the dedication for a regular CMO definitely would yield a dedicated outcome. And that could be massively useful as well. You mentioned something at the very beginning about budgeting and budget is caught and we still need to achieve the same thing. So what's the advice you've been given, CMOs of late, regarding budget optimization? This might sound a bit cliche, but you will be so shocked as to many people who still don't know because there are different situations.
0: Yeah, I think the key thing and what I've learned from the community this year is if of your budget is going to things that you have a sense have worked for you in the past and that 15% is going to future bets. So you take that 15% and divide it into three and you say, I'm going to bet on this because chances are where you're spending that 85% may or may not work in three months or six months or nine months. And you better be prepared to have the next thing that you know will work in terms of how you spend right now, it really depends on your ideal customer profile and the size and so forth. The one thing I will say again is there is a disproportionate spend between acquiring new customers and maintaining existing customers. And I think that right now, knowing that in a decline, you're better off getting more business from an existing customer than trying to acquire a new one. Just want to make sure that as the marketer, you're doing everything you can to learn from, develop, celebrate existing customers as a way to get your next one.
2: Yeah. I would almost bet true that most people would think the other side. They would reverse that to say, I don't have much money. Let me acquire as much as I can so that I can show some increase in a way. But the fact that With the power of network effect, for example, with the power of word of mouth, for example, with the power of the lifetime value and virality coefficients that customers actually drive revenue and not necessarily leads that advocacy. I think is a concept that if you're listening right now, you want to explore. And I will be exploring it as well. I don't think enough is done, just as Drew has said, to celebrate current customers, to keep them loyal to make them your marketers, basically, or make them your SDRs. Imagine that, making your customers the SDRs. And if they are happy, they will do that, no matter how big or small it is. You know, in the world of B2B, it's almost like that. So that is one epiphany, if I would use that word, as regards to this episode, that I would like you, if you're listening, to look into that. Something else, Drew, before I let you go here. Do you think the CMO role should be broken down? in the future, or SVP marketing communication, maybe some tactical variations. You have mentioned innovations in the past, maybe marketing innovation on one side. Then customer research or customer whatever on another side. And then we have a media manager who does all the media buying the email campaigns, the outdoor campaigns or all those activations or deals with PR. Or do you think that is just going to make this old chief magic officer thing more complicated? What are your thoughts?
0: If you break the job, you'll break the people too. Because ultimately those people have to report to somebody. So what now the COO is going to be the head of marketing and make the decisions? Because really in underneath it, we've spent no time talking about this, but brand consistency matters. And one of the CMO's jobs is to make sure that There is a clear and differentiating story that is told consistently regardless of the channel. And the minute you break up the job, that breaks down. So that's problem number one. The same thing is also is how do we get everybody on the same page, marching to the same few priorities? And a great story that I got out of Forrester that'll blow you away. Very simply, this was a Forrester conference in early June. IBM case study. They used to have 25 global campaigns. They reduced the number of global campaigns to five. Business grew 12%. Their goal was 5%. Employee satisfaction went up like five points. Because suddenly, employees were aligned in the marketing department against one of five campaigns, and they all had a sense of commitment. I'm on this team. We're driving this big idea. And they were all sort of five big ideas. This is a $60 billion company. So for things like that to happen, you need someone to orchestrate, to be the conductor. And you can have a violinist over here and a pianist over here and a drummer over there, but you need a conductor.
2: That's right. That's a good case study. It blows my mind for sure, because I've also been looking into the subject of global marketing strategies and how that seems to be the way to go for the future in terms of just running very efficient marketing initiatives or driving marketing from an efficient perspective, taking into account resources, costs. But one thing that marketing doesn't like is bureaucracy. And you're right. I think splitting the roles might increase the tendency for that to happen. And that even brings in more complexities because the collaboration with other units is not well orchestrated and there's just confusion all over the place. You tend to miss out on the competitive race when it comes to marketing so that makes sense. Drew, it's been awesome having you. You've shared a lot of great insights. Yeah, we are using CMO as the anchor here, but for every marketer out there, I think this goes all the way down. And we've used the word CMO a lot of times already. So if you are listening and you are dreaming, please keep the dream alive. You can do it. You can be a great marketing leader as to the name of this podcast. So Drew, where can our marketers find you?
0: I'm going to suggest a couple of things. One, on LinkedIn, feel free to send me a note there. Renegade.com is the home of our podcast and our blog and our newsletter. And CMOHuddles.com, because we now have a newsletter called Huddle Up. And we also have a starter program for all sorts of folks that aren't CMOs. So we've just expanded that. So yeah, check out CMOHuddles.com. And
2: please, if you're listening, read the book, Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps for Building Unbeatable B2B Brands. I got started on that as well, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot. That's all for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Please see more episodes at dotlovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots.
1: Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.